All right. Welcome to week four of Zoom Through the Bible. Thank you for being with us. If you're in here in the Zoom with us, appreciate you guys uh, being a part of it. If you're watching on Facebook um, or even catching up with us on podcast, we really, really, really appreciate uh, you being with us through this study. This has been a lot of fun. And, and just a reminder that uh, you can catch up with us on podcasts and, and also just sort of a, a throw out if you have not had a chance to get on and uh, subscribe, download the podcast, there will be a podcast exclusive, a Zoom Through the Bible podcast exclusive here coming in a, the next couple of weeks. So be on the lookout for that. It's only available on podcasts. So uh, you know, we're branching out. We're, we're big and fancy now. So uh, be on the lookout for that. So if you have not done so on your favorite uh, podcast app, make sure you do and uh, be on the lookout for that. All right. James chapter four is where we're going to be tonight. And let's pray. And then we will jump. We'll jump into a heavenly father. God, thank you for uh, this evening and the time that we have set aside to dig into your word. Thank you for allowing us all to get here. That's the hardest part. So Father, I just ask that you allow us to sit back and, and learn from your word uh, today. Teach us uh, uh, as we go through in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Um, again, we're in James chapter four. Here is a few other scriptures, uh, if you don't mind um, finding for me, um, and, and you can mark, and I would appreciate some, some readers here. Uh, do I have any volunteers? Okay, Kat, do you want to take uh, Matthew 6, 24? And Noah, you want to take Ephesians 2, 4 through 7? And Lindsay, will you take Luke 12, 48? Appreciate that, guys. We'll call on you guys here as, as we get going here. All right. Uh, James chapter four. Now, my, my I have every intention of actually finishing James tonight, but I don't know if we're going to make it. I mean, I had every intention last week, and as we got closer and closer, and God started showing more and more stuff. We'll we'll see, we'll see, but maybe we can get through two chapters tonight. Um, hopefully, that does not become a rarity, but we'll see. Uh, so let's just jump right in here. James chapter four, uh, verse one. Where do wars and fights come from among you? Do they not come from your desires for pleasure, that war in your, in your members? You lust and do not have, you murder and covet and cannot obtain. You fight and war, yet you do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you, have, you ask amiss, that you may spend it on your pleasures. Adulterers and adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Whoever... Who, whoever, therefore, wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God? Or do you think that the scripture says in vain, the spirit who dwells in us yearns jealous, jealously? Some tongue twisters in there. All right. So the first little section here in James chapter four, uh, here in the first five verses, I have titled the root of an argument. And to just be honest, James comes out here as he's starting to wind down his letter uh, that he's written, he's coming out swinging and, and he really comes out and sort of punches you right in the face with this little, uh, this little group of scriptures here. He essentially is saying Christians are constantly fighting. Here's the reason why, and here's why it's dumb. 
these are the these are the things that uh, that James is saying here in just these quick five verses. Christians are fighting all the time. Here's the reason why. And here, let me tell you why it's dumb. So let's let's break each of those down. Christians are constantly arguing and fighting. We see uh, we see here. He uses phrases like where where do wars and fights come from among you? You lust and you do not have. You murder and covet and cannot obtain. You fight and you war. He's using all of these to, to, to outline the idea that Christians have uh, the skill, we'll call it for lack of a better term, to argue and fight with people. And he's, he's uh, essentially pulling that out. He uses these words, wars and fights, to, to really start to make the reader understand that these are these are bitter severe these aren't just sort of disagreements we'll say we're talking about big time uh arguments big time fights uh happening amongst christians and with the world and he uses uh so kind of tells christians can get into some heated heated arguments for sure he even uses the word murder here you murder and covet uh, and this is meant to, to, to really not only be catchy, obviously murder seems very harsh, right? Um, that's on purpose by James, but also sort of um, hearkening back to Jesus's sermon on the Mount, uh, where Jesus sort of changed and flipped on their head the idea of a lot of the sins that people were, quote unquote, comfortable with when he talked about how murder uh, doesn't have to just be the physical act, but it can be a condition of the heart. And so that's what what James is really starting to to hearken back to when he uses that word uh, murder. And um, one Bible commentator I found, Douglas Moo, which is Moo is a great last name, uh, pointed out that uh, James seems to be bothered more by the selfish spirit and bitterness of the quarrels than by the rights and wrongs of the various viewpoints. So this first thing is that uh, Christians have a tendency to argue and to fight that James is, is calling out uh, here. The next thing that he does is uh, gives us the reason. Here's the reason. The reason is, is found in um, verse uh, one of chapter four, that that word desire or phrase, I should say, desires for pleasure, desires for pleasure, or in the original King James is just the word lust, uh, that lust uh, that you have. And then he goes on to say that you covet, uh, and he talks about covetousness. And that word covet, which is found in verse two, is the Greek word zelao, uh, which is um, to burn with zeal, to be heated, or to boil with envy and hatred and anger. Um, in the King James, it's actually the word, uh, the, the, the phrase, it's actually the phrase desire to have, essentially, which is a little uh, similar to our word covet. Um, so it's the reason. Uh, so the context here is that the root of disagreements for Christians is zelao towards the things of the world. Does that make sense? It's a, the, the root and reason why Christians tend to argue in this context is zelao, zeal towards things of the world. And, and that makes sense, right? Because if you have Christians Christians don't argue about things that are not of this world, God himself. Why? Because if you're, if you're on the same page in God, things kind of go the right way. You don't have arguments there, right? It's, it's the zeal and, and the, the, the heatedness that we get towards the things that are not necessarily of God and, and sort of your desire to sort of 
affirm your stance on things in, in the world as you see it that may not have anything really to do with God. So again, James telling us, obviously we, we argue, here's the reason. It's, it's because of our sort of firm hold and grasp on things that we're comfortable with and our zeal for the world. And here's why it's dumb, last part here, why, why it's dumb, uh, what he says here is because uh, it's actually two reasons, two reasons why having this zeal for the world and letting that lead you to arguments with other people uh, is it's two, two, twofold. Uh, number one, it's unsatisfying. It's unsatisfying. Uh, it says here in, uh, let's see what verse is that verse. Uh, verse two, you lust and you do not have. You lust and you do not have. Much of the downfall of mankind is really based off of that statement alone. I lust, I want, and I do not have. The, the internet is full of examples of celebrities and people of wealth and, and great means who are constantly uh, hating uh, their, themselves because they, they have anything that this world can offer, but they always want more. Uh, the desire for things of the world only comes as, as unsatisfying because that's, if you're going to allow yourself to go down that hole, you're never going to uh, get enough to fill whatever it is inside of you that's trying to, to get those things. And, and uh, uh, David Guzik has a great quote on this. He says, this is the tragic irony of the life lived after worldly and fleshly desires. It never reaches the goal it gives everything for. This fundamental dissatisfaction is not because of a lack of effort. I'll just read that again. It never reaches the goal it gives everything for. And this fundamental dissatisfaction, it's not due to a lack of effort. Obviously, people have been trying this forever and ever. It's not due to lack of effort. It's due that the world is not the thing that's going to fill the hole in people's hearts and in their minds. It's only God. It's, it's a Jesus-shaped hole, uh, so to speak. So that's the first reason that it's dumb to have these arguments over things of the world because the things of the world are unsatisfying and, and no help to us. The second reason uh, is um, gonna make me say a word that I'm gonna mess up uh, often is that friendship, as it says here in this scripture, uh, verse uh, four, friendship with the world is enmity with God. That's not an easy word, enmity. It makes you an enemy of God. How about that? Uh, friendship with the world makes you an enemy of God. And, and, and James, like I said, he's, he's coming out swinging. He's throwing haymakers here to start these first five verses. He uses a phrase here, adulterers and adulteresses is what he throws out there. Like that's kind of the worst thing you could throw up. Like, oh no, he did not just call me that type of thing uh, that you're hearing from, from James here. This is a phrase that's used often in the Old Testament uh, as a rebuke to people who fell into different sorts of idolatry, uh, again, putting things before God. And so James sort of elevates this zeal, zelao, that he's talking about here as a form of idolatry and putting things uh, before God, uh, essentially um, making the point that friendship with the world is, in a sense, idolatry. Uh, Matthew 6, 24 Kat, did you have that one? Would you mind unmuting and reading that for us? Absolutely. All right. Matthew 6, 24. No one can serve two masters for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. 
you cannot serve God and money. So he's talking about money there, but more broadly, we can talk about really anything that this world offers. And that's sort of the point that James is making here is like, look, if you're going to have this, this zeal, uh, the zelao towards the world itself, uh, you're, you're, you're basically going the opposite of what I would ask you to, to be with me, to, to allow me to be your master, um, Jesus himself. And so, uh, again, coming out swinging here, telling us that we're fighting all the time. Here's the reason it's because of this love for the world and the love to, to tell people about our views on the world, even though it has nothing to do with God and, and why that's dumb, because it's never going to be satisfying. And it's, it's actually makes you can make you an enemy of God. That love to the world draw you away from God. Now we could move on. We, we could move on to the next section. And, and I, I told you, I want to get through two chapters. So maybe it's in the best interest to do that, but I, I'd be remiss if I, if I didn't just make one more point about this particular thing that James is talking about here. Uh, the reason I say it that way is that I think a lot of times when we get to sections of the Bible like this, that tell us, hey, stay away from the things of the world. Uh, the love of the world makes you an enemy of God. Uh, have a zeal for God. Don't have a zeal for the world. We, we start to think, and I think if you're like me at all, you walk away from those church services, those Bible studies, those whatever, and you think to yourself, okay, the takeaway is that I need to stay away from those sinful activities that are going to take me away from God. That, you know, I think we all sort of have those sinful things that we all know that we have to stay away from. These are our things that we have to deal with. And we know to live the life that God's called us for, we have to be away from it. And so we, we take these portions of scripture and, and we use them to affirm in us, Hey, this is just a reminder. I got to stay away from that. But that's not necessarily what James is saying. So I want to make sure that I'm very clear about what James is saying. And the reason that I'm saying it that way is that these things that can become idolatry, according to James, aren't in themselves sinful activities, don't have to be, I should say, in themselves sinful activities. And they may not even be in themselves a bad thing overall, but if they are a thing of the world and they cause you to have this great zeal in your life where you feel like you need to argue with people about them, get into fights about them, have discourse and have division because of them, that's the point where they can become a bad thing. So just a few things that I'm not trying to, here's one of the things, uh, anybody who's listening to this, including the people in here uh, that I guess, other than my wife uh, and my sister-in-law who's in here, um, you know, I, I know you guys, I'm getting to know most of you, but I don't know you guys all on a personal level. So when I say, when I'm about to list off the things that I'm listing off here, you know that I can't be calling anybody out here uh, or that's on there. Cause I don't know you. That's one of the nice things there. You know, sometimes uh, teachers, pastors, they get up in the pulpit and say, Hey, be careful of this. And they have somebody waiting to shake their hand in the parking lot saying, Hey, why were you talking about me up on stage? You know what I mean? This is not one of those cases. Cause this is just me putting out a list to try to make sure that we're clear about what we're talking about. Again, things that can become idolatry don't have to be in themselves bad things, but they can become that. Things like dating, things like <clears throat> sports uh, and sports fandom uh, can be that. Hanging with the boys, fishing, camping, dune trips, consumerism, patriotism, your job, any of these things by themselves don't really sound like bad things. But if they put you in a situation where you feel like you have to fight back with people to affirm your views on any of them, 
they are outside of, of the realm of what God would say that we need to be doing. These are, they're, they're dumb. This is why they're dumb, as James is talking about here. So um, it's important that we not just sort of, okay, I'll stay away from those sinful activities. It's important that we look and make sure that the things that we're spending our time on aren't getting in the way of us learning and getting closer to God. All right, now let's move on to the next section, which is probably my favorite part of this week's study. Uh, let's read here. James chapter four, verse six, but he gives more grace. I'm going to stop there. I know that typically I would read through the whole section and then we'd talk about it, but I have to stop there because I, we just went through some heavy stuff, right? Like James just called us adulterers and adulteresses, right? He's, he's throwing haymakers. He's saying, stay away from this. You know, how could you be this way? Blah, 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 blah. And sometimes when we study the Bible, um, we are often hit by where we fall short. When we study the Bible, we, we get this sense of dread and we're convicted and we realize the places where we're falling short on the man or woman that God has called us to be. And that's what James has just talked about, but he follows it up here with five. We talked about words being like a honeycomb. These are words that are, that are a honeycomb but he gives more grace. The grace of God is innumerable. It's beautiful. And no matter what we go through, he gives more grace. And there's nothing that we can do that can get outside of that grace. Uh, Ephesians chapter two, verses four through seven. I think Noah, you had that. Would you mind unmuting and read that for us? It says, uh, but God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved and raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. It's by grace that we are saved. That's where our future is affirmed. That's where our salvation lies is in God's grace. And it also says by grace, we are lifted up. Uh, God's grace is amazing. And often, um, oh, let me back up. We should not be studying the Bible with the idea of here's what we're doing wrong. Our study, if we're studying, we're studying the Bible wrong. If we're just taking away, here's what I'm doing wrong. It, it, we should be studying the Bible to get a glimpse of the innumerable love of Jesus Christ and see how it shines through to us. And, and, and even though we were sinners, Christ died for us, that that's a God that's worth serving. That's a gospel that's worth telling. We don't study the Bible so that we could feel down on ourselves about all of our shortcomings. We study the Bible to see how great God is and the amazing gift of salvation that he gave us, even though we were dead to sin, he made us alive through Christ. So that, that I think is just the most important thing. If you get nothing else from the rest of the study to know that, Hey, we may have gotten through some heavy stuff and James may have come out swinging to sort of call us to task on some of the stuff where we fall short, but he makes sure to, to add there, but he gives more grace. I think that's super, super important. All right, let's keep reading here, but he gives more grace. Therefore he says, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Therefore submit to God 
Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Lament and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourself in the sight of the Lord and he will lift you up. Do not speak evil of one another, brethren. He who speaks evil of a brother and judges his brothers speak evil of the law and judges the law. Excuse me. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is one lawgiver who is able to save and to destroy. Who are you to judge another? Come now. You who say today or tomorrow, we will go to such and such a city, spend a year there, buy and sell and make a profit. Whereas you do not know what will happen tomorrow for what is your life. It is even a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanishes away. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we shall live and do this or that. But now you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. Therefore, to him who knows to do good and does not do it, to him it is sin. And uh, that's uh, that last phrase there, uh, verse 17. If you remember my, my question from last week is where did, uh, what portion of the scripture did was Spider-Man just completely ripping off? It's verse 17. Uh, to, with great power comes great responsibility, essentially there, right? Therefore, to him who knows to do good and does not do it, to him it is sin. So there's, uh, there's for our Marvel fans uh, out there. All right. Um, what we have here in James uh, uh, 4, 6 through 17 is, is really a, an outline on how to avoid these arguments that James has brought up here in the first couple of verses. There's a really great, if you, if you really want to break it down, and we will here, uh, outline, so to speak, of how to avoid getting in these, these types of arguments. And so the first thing uh, to talk about here is humility, which is found in verses six through 10. Uh, humility, humility. And what we find in verses six through 10 is actually a really, and what, what, what is required uh, for, uh, is, is, well, let me back up. What we find in verses six through 10, besides some information about humility, is really a great definition for repentance itself, uh, repenting from our sins. And, and if you think about it, a lot of repentance requires humility. And so let's break this down a little bit. Oftentimes we, we talk about repentance or repenting from sins. It's a nice church word that I don't know that we use in any other aspect of life other than at church. Um, nobody goes around and says like, I was going to buy this, but then I repented and I decided to buy the other one. Uh, nobody uses that, that kind of talking. It would be weird and you would probably be kicked out of the store, but uh, we use that word and there's lots of definitions of it. And essentially a lot of people, a simple definition of repenting is sort of turning around and going the other way, doing the opposite, flipping a 180. And those are sort of simplified definitions and they're important to give, especially for young people. But here's a really detailed uh, look at what it really means uh, to repent. And we see these in these, in these six uh, verses. Uh, I'm just going to kind of re reread them as we go through here. But this first one uh, I'll make sure up oh, verse uh, is found in verse seven. Uh, it says, resist the devil and he will, and he will flee from you. The first one is simply to resist. Uh, when we are the first aspect of re uh, repenting is to resist that sin. It's not to indulge in that sin. It is to resist or turn away from that sin that you're dealing with. The next 
the next step here on repentance is to step two, draw near to God. You will flee from you, verse eight, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. This is not only moving yourself away from the sin, but actually moving in, in a right direction. Some people replace one sin with another sin. They move away from one sin only to find themselves in another sin. And it's very important that as we move away from that sin, that we actually move towards God. The next thing here, and I don't think we talk about this very often when we're talking about uh, repentance is found in verse nine, where it says, lament and mourn. Whew, that's a tough one. Um, we don't really go here all that often. If you're like me and, you, and you, you're having your time with God and you're dealing with repentance, you want to just kind of get in and get out. It's like when, you know, when you were little, you had to get the butt whoop and you wanted to get it and you wanted to get out, right? You didn't want to kind of linger on it. Um, but that's, it says here is to lament and mourn. Uh, sometimes it's important to allow yourself to understand how awful that sin really is to your spiritual health and not just to try to shoot right past it, to spend some time, uh, lamenting and mourning, um, Easton's Bible dictionary just found online. If, if you want to look at it, it's great to kind of see how terms are defined through, through them, um, has this listed as part of their portion of, they, they have a kind of their definition of repentance and they have this, this kind of aspect of lament and mourn in there. And it, they say, quote, a true set to get a true sense of one's own guilt and sinfulness. So this is an important portion of repentance is to really do some mourning and some lamenting over, um, you know, what you did. It's the idea of kind of giving yourself this mindset of like, uh, why what I just did, my Lord and Savior Jesus Christ had to go to the cross to 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 cover like such an a, a, a devastating event had to happen because of my sin, my dumb sin that I know I can handle. I know that God's given me the power within me to be able to avoid. Um, I did it and God had to go to a cross to to cover it. So there needs to be a time of lamenting and mourning over your sin and not just speeding past it because uh, otherwise it's going to be very difficult to learn for the next time, essentially. And the last portion here, and this is sort of the, the humble uh, portion here, it says uh, to humble yourself and be lifted up by God. Uh, not so quick to just decide for yourself, okay, I'm good. Um, I, I, I've, I've, I'm good. I've gotten through this sin and I'm ready to go. Uh, it's to allow God to lift you up and to let, him, let, let God know that you're ready to move forward. Not so quick to decide for yourself, but allow God to really give you, truly give you that peace before you move forward. And honestly, you can't do that until you do the humble, uh, the, the lamenting and mourning. You can't until you can get yourself into a quiet space where you can truly know that God's given you a peace that you're ready to move forward from your sin. That's what true repentance looks like. It's not just, hey, I'm going to try to do better. There are some steps that we need to, to take. And, and again, I know I didn't have it on the visual. Uh, now I'm thinking that would have been helpful. I'm sorry. Uh, but I'll repeat them just in case you're taking notes. It's important that we resist and turn away from sin. It's important that we turn away from sin and we draw near to God, that we spend some time lamenting and mourning, and that we humble ourselves and allow God to be the one to tell us when it's time to move forward, to be lifted up by God. All right, so that's one of the keys to avoiding some of these arguments is staying humble, staying humble here. Uh, uh, and the next one is being non-judgmental. 
Um, I know that can be that can be tough. Being being non-judgmental is found in verses uh, 11 and 12. I'll go ahead and reread them because it was a little bit ago uh, that I read it. Uh, verse 11. Indeed, we count them blessed who endure, who have heard. Oh nope, I'm in the wrong chapter. Sorry. Back up. Do not speak evil of one another. Verse 11 of chapter four. Brethren, who who speaks evil of a brother and judges his brother speaks evil of the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. Therefore, there is one lawgiver who is able to save and to destroy. Who are you to judge another? This idea, uh, the, the phrase there, speak evil of one or do not speak evil of another uh, is, I practiced this all week, I'm going to mess it up, is the Greek word katalaleo. Oh, I did it. Katalaleo uh, is the Greek word there, which according to uh, uh, 18th century um, early 19th century uh, Bible theologian William Barclay, he said this about katalaleo. It is the sin of those who meet in corners and gather in little groups and pass on confidential information, which destroy the good name of those who are not there to defend themselves. Uh, it's a pretty lengthy definition on avoiding this, this judgmental speak. If you are truly, and here's the thing, with being judgmental. I think we all kind of can struggle with being judgmental. I think as human beings, we are sort of uh, programmed with this idea of, of trying to compare ourselves to somebody else. And once uh, my wife and I had a great conversation a few weeks back about how um, sometimes you don't, you don't feel like if you don't feel threatened by somebody, then you, 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 you don't have to like judge them harshly. But when you start to feel threatened by them because you're comparing yourself to them, that's the part where the judgment sort of flows, right? Because you feel threatened, like they're coming for your stuff, so to speak. And so um, we all sort of deal with being judgmental from time to time. But the point is, is sort of that first part, humility. If you've humbled yourself enough and if you're in the right place in a humble place with God, it's really difficult to even bring yourself to be judgmental towards somebody. Like the key to being judgmental is not to just not be judgmental. The key to being judgmental is to live a humble life. Because if you've humbled yourself and you're having a humble spirit about you, it makes it very, very difficult to even bring yourself to the point where you're going to judge somebody else. Uh, next point here, stay mindful of the Lord's will. Stay mindful of the Lord's will. He says, um, this is God telling his people not, this is not, I'm going to make clear that I'm saying here, this is not God telling people, and I'll reread it just in case we forgot. Come now, you who say today or tomorrow, we will go to such and such a city, spend a year there, buy, sell, and make a profit. Whereas you do, do you not know that uh, what will happen, you don't know what will happen tomorrow. For what is your life? Is it even a vapor that appears for a little time and vanishes away? Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we shall live there, live and do this or that. But now you boast in arrogance, all such boasting is evil. So this is, I want to be clear, this is not God telling his people to not make smart decisions about, about their future. That is not what God is saying here. We should be making uh, smart uh, decisions about the things that God's given us, good stewards of everything that God's given us, and make smart decisions. This is simply telling us to stay in God's will with everything, uh, to be mindful of God's will in everything that that we touch here, um, knowing knowing that uh, the, the the thing here is that 
Um, God knows his creation. And, and I'll say this often as we keep going through study is that God knows his creation and he knows the way that our minds work. Um, and so he knows that that people are constantly looking forward and always making plans. And this is just sort of a shout out to say, um, you know, this is it's important to stay in God's will. Uh, no matter what you're doing, because life, you know, we're not, we aren't promised uh, the next day. And so uh, to stay in that. And then again, in verse 17, therefore, to him who knows to do good and does not do it, to him it is sin. That's there's that Spider-Man theme. Uh, and here James just, just, he just finished showing us how difficult it can be to live a life of humility and dependence on God. And, and he's basically showing us going back to sort of the theme of the book in chapter two, that again, faith without works is dead, that sort of whole um, theme here. And it harkens back to uh, the story that Jesus gave in Luke 12. Who had Luke 12 uh, for us? Lindsay, will you read uh, Luke 12, 48, unmute for us and read that? Sure. Um, Luke 12, 48. But the one who does not know and does things deserving punishment will be beaten with few blows. From everyone who has been given much, much will be demanded. And from the one who has been entrusted with much, much more will be asked. So here is, is James just sort of hearkening to that story in Luke that, that Jesus gave us about the servants and who got so much stuff. Um, and it's the same sort of aspect here is that um, if you know how to act, the expectation is that you do it. Um, and, and, and he's just throwing that out there there. All right. It's 735. Uh, should we move forward with chapter five? It's a short chapter uh, or save it for next week. Let's, let's just, let's, let's plow through here. Give me 10 minutes. We'll get through chapter five, very short chapter here. So let me, let me read here the first 12 verses. Uh, Come now you rich weep and howl for your miseries that are coming upon you. Your riches are corrupted and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver are corroded and their corrosion will be a witness against you and will eat your flesh like fire. You have leaped, you have heaped, up treasure in the last days. Indeed, the wages of the laborers are you who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud, cry out, and the cries of the reapers have reached the ears of the Lord of Sabbath. You have lived on the earth in the pleasure and luxury. You have fattened your hearts as in the day of slaughter. You have condemned, you have murdered the just. He does not resist you. Therefore, be patient, brethren, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, waiting patiently for it until it receives the earth, the early and the latter rain. You also be patient, establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Do not grumble against one another, brethren, lest you be condemned. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. My brethren, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord as an example as an example of suffering and patience. Indeed, we count them blessed to endure. You who have, the, the, have heard of the perseverance of Job and seen the end intended by the Lord, that the Lord is very compassionate and merciful. But above all, my brethren, do not swear either by heaven or by earth and with any other oath, but let your yes be yes and your no, no, lest you fall into judgment. You know what? We're not going to do this. There, I just don't have enough time to, to do ju chapter five. It's justice. So um, I will give you a little um, sneak peek of what we're going to talk about in chapter five. The first 12 verses uh, talk about the best way to wait. And the last part there 
the importance of the church. And, and you know what, that's, I think that's so important that I don't want to rush through it. So uh, we'll stop, we'll stop there. You got a little insight into that. I will, um, uh, let me pray to close us out tonight and then hold on to your hats. Cause I have um, a little bit for what next week could look like. So uh, let's pray. Heavenly father, uh, thank you for your word tonight. Um, sorry. That's a little clumsy here at the end, Father, but uh, I think that your word spoke for itself tonight, that it's so important for us to stay out of dumb arguments, Lord, and to, to, to really focus on, on you and to stay humble and to, to, to stay away from these arguments so that we can move closer to who you've called us to be. And Father, again, um, sort of that biggest point tonight, thank you for your grace. Thank you that your grace is so big that it covers all of my sins. I know how bad my sins are, but then to think that you, you could cover everybody's sins, Father, that that's just, thank you that your grace is so big, Lord. Thank you that, that there's nothing that we can't ever come back from, uh, that we can't ever not come back from, Father. We, we thank you for that. We love you for that. You are, as I stated earlier, it, it's that, that that makes you a God worth serving, a gospel worth sharing, and help us to, to get that out to this world, Father. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. I had like a million uh, things in the presentation because I didn't know where I was going to stop. So I got to make sure I get the, the right one here. Uh, let's go here. All right. So for next week, um, read chapter five. Uh, we just read half of it, but finish the rest of it. And what you really get into is um, what I see is some of the greatest aspects of a church, of coming together with a group of believers. And so be thinking, uh, what's your favorite aspect of church? I know, especially for our group and for our church who hasn't been able to meet in person, and obviously we're using this as, as, as sort of an, an extension of that to try to continue to get together uh, in one way or another, uh, God's, we're, we're not going to not get together, right? We're going to use every avenue we can. And we'll talk about that a little bit more next week. And, and that's sort of uh, why I think it needs a little bit more time. But but be thinking about what is your favorite part of church and why you like to go to church and um, what, what you look forward to each week when it comes to uh, going to church, whether it's in our online uh, status right now or even meeting with uh, believers in person, which hopefully will be, be very, very soon. So that's for that's for next week. Um, and, uh, that is, that is it. So thank you guys for being in here this week and we will see you back next Tuesday.